the Read to Lead podcast, episode 21. Hi there, this is Ray Edwards from rayedwardspodcast.com, and you're listening to one of my favorite podcasters, that's Jeff Brown, the creator and host of the Read to Lead podcast. Everyone has something to say and we all need to hear it. And sometimes it it doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't have to be far different from anyone else's, but it's yours. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now here's Jeff. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Read to Lead podcast. I am especially excited for today because Chris Brogan is our guest. Chris is someone I've had the pleasure of learning from sitting at the feet at, if you will, since late 2007, early 2008. When I first became involved with Twitter, Chris was someone I began following early on and I I felt like Chris was largely responsible for me getting what I always thought was a, a master's degree level education on a platform like Twitter, when a lot of folks thought it was just about you know sharing what you had for breakfast. No, Chris was making it a much more valuable outpost than that. So I have a lot of affection for Chris. I'm really excited for you to be able to hear from him today and his new book he wrote with Julian Smith called The Impact Equation. Are you making things happen or just making noise? And this goes way beyond social media. These concepts apply to your message, no matter the ways you're trying to get it out there, and no matter whether you're uh, looking for help with your business or for your personal platform. Our conversation with Chris coming up in just a moment. First, it's my distinct pleasure to tell you about our brand new sponsor, the Snippet app. The Snippet app reimagines the way we publish and the way we read. I've been using it for some time now and am loving it. It's just a beautiful app and the best way I've personally found to consume great ebooks. Snippet means short, engaging, and beautiful reading. Now, a snippet's length and the multimedia content that's included in a typical book, which means video and audio in addition to words and pictures, grabs and holds your attention to the very end. One of the things I love about the Snippet app is the fact that every chapter is never more than a thousand words, so it's quick and easy to consume, and every book ranges in price from $0.99 to $4.99. As a writer, Snippet means no more waiting to get published or or wondering what the best way is to capture and share your stories, your ideas, uh, and experiences. Amazing writers like like Pat Flynn, who's uh, been on the podcast, Episode 7, Jeff Goins, who was on Episode 4, Natalie Sisson, who's coming up in a couple of weeks, and Paul Jarvis all choose Snippet. Bottom line, they want to fuel more reading in the world. Sound familiar? By reducing barriers to entry, removing distractions, and promoting best-in-class storytelling. They're a perfect fit, in my view, for the Read to Lead podcast, and one of the many reasons I'm so excited to have them as a sponsor. I can't recommend it highly enough. To enjoy the Snippet reading experience on your iOS device, just search Snippet app in Apple's App Store and download this free reading app today. You can learn more about Snippet at thesnippetapp.com. That's thesnippetapp.com. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well for today's episode. Chris Brogan is publisher of Owner Magazine, a business magazine helping you improve your worth by growing your capabilities and connections. He is CEO and president of Human Business Works, a publishing and media company, also a sought-after keynote speaker who's addressed crowds of thousands, been on the Dr. Phil show, and 
even once presented to a princess. Chris has consulted with companies you know, like Disney, Microsoft, Coke, Titleist, PepsiCo, Google, Motorola, and many more. Chris is the New York Times bestselling author of six books and counting, including Trust Agents and The Impact Equation with Julian Smith. He lives in northern Massachusetts, where he frequently plays Minecraft with his kids and plots world-conquering with his girlfriend Jacqueline Carley. Chris Rogan, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Jeff, I'm so thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, I have been an admirer of yours, Chris, for, for five or six years, having followed your career you know, before any of these books came out. And though I'm late to the party as far as the impact equation is concerned you know, in, in the business of reading so many books as I do, I am enjoying it a great deal. And I thought it would be good to sort of set the context uh, for the rest of our discussion. I was hoping you could help us wrap our heads around the equation itself. You've got impact on one side. And as you and Julian have developed it on the other side is, is what? So the equation, uh, for those of you playing along in a little more visual thinker, just write down the word create. And it is contrast times reach plus exposure plus articulation plus trust and plus echo. And these are just six different attributes that we thought would really comprise how one might uh, consider standing out, getting their message heard and uh, delivering some kind of impact on their pursuits. Because that's what we came to realize was maybe missing in a lot of people's efforts to get going forward. You spend a fair amount of time uh, fleshing out goals. And unfortunately, most people seem to struggle with setting them and, and the follow through. What does that process look like for you? You know, it's probably changed uh, just a little bit over time and all that. But what, one way I look at it most times is that with with regards to putting goals together, um, you know, a lot of people use that concept of uh, what, what do they call it? Smart goals, simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Um, while I think that's a you know reasonable way to start looking at goals, um, another way to think about it is just that you have to have sort of an end process in mind. You have to have some sense that where you're going to go with all of this has has a kind of a far away distance and also a kind of a, a leap. So for instance, the two ways that we have to achieve goals is to make sure you do daily work and practice those tasks and skills that sustain the baseline that brings you to where you need to go next. Mm. Uh, but then uh, you have to make some bigger moves towards the goals that you can attain. You have to take some stretches, you know, because that's a lot of times what people do is they they don't do the groundwork to, to get their goals done. They're sort of day work. And then the other side of it is that they don't do the uh, – kind of bigger stretches to get them past the kind of day work that I just complained about. When it comes to our educational system, I think a lot of times, you know, high schools set one of their goals as being, you know, 100% placement, college placement as a good goal to strive for. But that mentality suggests the same path for everybody. Uh, You say that there will come a time when these, I think you use the phrase set paths uh, will have failed, but that that time hasn't come yet. A time when what to do won't be obvious like it might be today. I think this scares a lot of people, but but why is that a good thing or, or is it a good thing? You know, that's a, that's a really good uh, question to ask. I, I would say that the, the, there's a huge challenge right in front of everybody, which is to say that uh, the jobs that we were promised and the work that we were promised that's current out there in the universe is no longer there. And uh, James Altucher in his book, Choose Yourself, I mean, this is a reading podcast after all, we have to <laughs> get many books in here. James talks about, you know, he's a, he's a guy and he lives in upstate New York, but he visits the city a lot for business. And when he goes there, it's amazing how many big giant skyscraper buildings only have a few floors of people in them. 
you know, so there might be, a, you know, a 40 story building and there might be only two or so levels of actual, you know, employees at desks and those people all used to work there. So that gives you a little sense of what's going on is that the kind of standard desk job universe that a lot of us were sort of promised isn't there. Uh, I, I live inside of a factory building from, from yesteryear and uh, where I am now is in a town where uh, before there were cars and there were only horse-drawn carriages, this was sort of the Detroit of that area in Massachusetts. And so I sleep every night that I'm home anyway, in a, in a bed that's inside what used to be a factory that these jobs don't exist either. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think that there's a great abundance of new work happening and it's not all, you know, butterflies and creative fairies and we're all going to be keynote speakers. It's, I mean, there's real work to be done, but you know, for instance, I'm working with an internet company and we have every intention of uh, putting this, this company together that's going to be, you know, have a million dollar, uh, sorry, billion dollar valuation mm -hmm. in, in not too long a time. And that's really only going to take 40 or 50 employees. Wow. So what used to be required for that kind of revenue and what that kind of value was a lot more. And really all through the whole process, Jeff, it's been this sort of experience of, you know, how few people do I need to make it happen? And so in part of what we wrote in the book, The Impact Equation was really pointing towards the fact that you're, you're really going to have to stand out to, to get if you want to do something mundane. And if you don't want to do something mundane, then you really, really have to stand out. Well, related to that, you say that we're the first generation to be both mass consumers and, and mass creators of media at the same time. And you and Julian suggest that we're all essentially you know, fledgling TV stations that, that uh, we as businesses or individuals building a platform, we have to accept the role of media creators and go from, from thinking like an employee to thinking like an owner. What does that change in mindset ultimately look like? Well, I mean, we're we're experiencing it on very low levels. I mean, I would say the great majority of people are experiencing it on low levels already. I mean, we're on a podcast. This didn't exist before. You used to have to hope to get a spot on a radio station. Uh, people are tweeting or Instagramming what might be very banal and mundane right now, but they're learning uh, slowly, you know, how these kinds of tools will allow them to connect to something. But, you know, it's, I have to say, I just had this conversation this morning with my children. My daughter's 11. My boy is almost eight. And we were having the conversation about the fact that my kids consume almost 100% user-generated, independently generated content. <laughs> they could care less about mainstream movies. They go to the movies just so they can get the candy. It's, it's really, <laughs> in my mind, it's like essentially like a $60 trip uh, <laughs> that they don't, all they really want is for the $4 of candy uh, <laughs> at a grocery store. But, you know, they love it. And uh, my daughter was watching a, a fan art competition on this independently uh, done YouTube cartoon and she wrapped with attention and I said, you know, it's, it's so crazy because when I was a kid, you know, far many decades before, fan art was something that kind of existed in the back of a comic book occasionally, but, it, but it's pretty much celebrated now. I mean, the YouTube music awards that just happened celebrated lots of parodies, the best video responses to songs, et cetera, et cetera. It really made the, the audience every bit, the part of the, the experience. Now I think this plays in business as well, Jeff, but it, it it's just, people are going to take a long time before they really squint and see that. But why does every you know website in the world seem to have a blog now? <laughs> why, why do they all try to tweet, interesting and pithy things why do we talk about how interesting the oreo super bowl ad is it's because uh, we can all relate to, to content it's it's sort of like the campfire around which which we can all gather and then have other conversations 
but the impact equation, it's important to point out, is not a book about social media per se. No, not at all about that. It's a, it's a book about uh, how to do business and how to stand out. You don't have to use a single social media tool to, to get anything on it. Well, one thing that grabbed my attention in the, in the section on contrast uh, was the quote, one reason many people don't have good ideas is because they were never taught how. And you say the idea creation process, or rather you say idea creation follows a process. So I, I'm curious to know what your process or method is for idea creation? Is there a model? Is there a method? Well, so I, my personal idea creation uh, a lot of times is focused on business. So I tend to have a, uh, hmm, how should I say it? I tend to have a slightly weaponized version of my thinking on ideas, <laughs> meaning I'm forever thinking, how do I make this into something that's going to be useful to, to some business pursuit, you know, a business of mine or somebody else's that I'm working with? And what goes on with idea creation People have bad ideas. They try to run with them. People have ideas in a vacuum quite often. I mean, that's the, the the flip side of all this freedom is that we have a lot of freedom to fail. And we have a lot of opportunity to really go do the same thing everyone else has done, which is pretty frustrating because if you think about it, we could all learn and do much faster if we actually just looked around a little first to see what's going on. Um, but but to to get ideas going, I mean... There, there are a lot of processes. My process is, you know, I, I start by trying to figure out what the goal of the idea is first to see if I should even bother thinking about it. Uh, then I, you know, try to figure out, is there anything I should be doing? You know, what kind of resources do I need? How fast can the idea take place? So that's really, that's how I do it. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, a lot of that section about ideas uh, was a lot of Julian's um, passion. At the time we were writing this, he was just really into the idea of generating ideas. And I think that... Uh, it's fun because of what he came up with, but it's also funny to me just that, you know, that, that particular section really sparks a lot of interest and, uh, attraction for a lot of people. There's a section in the book called, uh, smart content means emotional content. And I want to ask why is emotion such an important part of the process and how do you walk the fine line between authenticity and manipulation when it comes to emotion in the content? You know, that's a, the second question is so much more difficult to convey. It's 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 a lot harder to, because it's one of those things that I have certain I have certain presumptions that I forget all humans don't follow. Mm. You know, I sort of think that we're all kind of above board with what we're intending to do. And if I'm trying to sell you something, I'm not going to, you know, put up a bunch of sad crying children first and say, oh you can help these children and, and, you know, make it be about my sandwich that I'm selling. So it's, it's difficult to convey it, but let me start. So first off, the, the most incredible thing about emotion or the best opportunity that emotion affords us is that it lets us bypass a lot of really silly logic that we use. Um, when you decide to buy a new car, depending on what car you're going to go for, certain people tend to look at it very, very practically until some emotional uh, trigger or lever is pulled. And so, for instance, you might be in for a minivan and realize, oh, I cannot be the kind of person who drives a minivan. I'll get, <laughs> I'll get this SUV, which is essentially a minivan with a slightly different shape. <laughs> and, you know, SUVs exist for, you know, generally guys. So let's just go there. But SUVs exist <laughs> for guys who really just can't bear up to the fact that they had to drive a minivan. Hmm. And so that's an emotional twitch. So, uh in selling that, I mean, we sell SUVs as power and reliability and plenty of room, and we sell uh, we sell minivans as the same thing, only without the word power, hmm. uh, because the buyer of a minivan doesn't care. They're just like, is there enough room for all my kids? And do the doors now? The new thing is, do the doors open on their own? We, emotions. <laughs> um, 
emotions short circuit a lot of our logic because what we what we really hate having to do is be convinced, but what we love to do is justify. So once we get ourselves convinced that something is what we need to do, we love to justify it to the person that might be saying no or we can't afford it or whatever. So I think that all of us as buyers feel that way. I mean, I, I'm sure there's some product or device or gadget, like maybe perhaps the new iPad mini retina. You're like, I know I have a regular iPad too <laughs> that I only just bought a year and a half ago, but I could probably get that on eBay and I probably need the iPad mini retina. Right. <laughs> because, you know, it's so much clearer. My eyes are getting bad and I think it's really helpful to me. And this, this is what we do. And then there's almost always some emotional note that'll go with that justification. That's just sort of like, well, just think of the future. <laughs> I'm a futurist. That's the kind of device a futurist has. <laughs> that's, right? what I, that's what I tell my wife anyway. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why I say that. But I mean, to use it genuinely is really important. And I never mean like, you know, try to grab on somebody's uh, emotional heartstrings. Uh, although, I mean, it's quite interesting. If you watch early Oprah Winfrey versus newer Oprah Winfrey, she most definitely uh, she most definitely used to try to pull on those things really hard, and now she goes a slightly gentler way. In the articulation chapter, uh, Chris, you and Julian stress the idea of simplicity and, and using simple language. Uh, tell it to me like I'm six years old, I think, is, is the mantra. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to someone who worries that that plays to the, the lowest common denominator? You know who worries about that? People who don't make money. It's amazing uh, how many people are very nervous uh, that we're dumbing down the, the, the system or dumbing down America. You know, it, the, the world is dumbing down on its own. You don't have to try to save it. You will not save it. Um, th- for so many years, we've tried to f- keep our language safe. We've tried to not let words like like be dumped into the language randomly, you know, like teenagers and really uh, emoji and emoticons and all of this stuff is really part of the vernacular. I happen to be in the crowd who does not like when someone says your uh, O-R and means, you know, apostrophe (laughs) R-E. But, you know, I just kind of keep that to myself. But with regards to keeping it simple and keeping the language simple, I will tell you this for sure. People who use big words are usually afraid that their concept isn't good enough or that they're, or that someone's going to think they're not good enough or that they're not smart enough. Um, it is fairly rare that you really need to use a big word uh, unless it, it's just going to really circumvent a lot of other having to, you know, explanations like the word circumvent. <laughs> if, I can, <laughs> if I can steer clear of a word like that, I will. But I mean, if it's going to save me having to use 65 words, then maybe I'll do that. I've, I've been in radio, uh, in broadcasting up until June for about 25, 26 years. And I spent a lot of that time, Chris, doing something that in college I absolutely hated, and that was writing. Uh, I learned to enjoy the process and in writing to convince people to, you know, to take action on something. Uh, and you make no bones about the fact in the book that in the 21st century, one of the few must-have skills is writing. Why do you believe this to be so important? What if video is my thing? Or what if creating podcasts is my thing? Why do I have to write too? Because most computer systems aren't smart enough yet to hear what you're saying or (laughs) see it in your face. And so searchability is a problem because lots of people can read tons faster than they can consume your podcast. I mean, so we're, you know, I don't know, let's say 17 or so minutes into this interview. And if this is the part that people really wanted to hear about, they're going to have to endure 17 minutes of my shenanigans to get to it. (laughs) Whereas with reading, you're going to be able to pluck and get to where you want and, and, 
and deal with it a little bit better. So first off, it's because the tools to consume aren't exactly fast. You know, uh, reading, listening to a podcast, scrubbing isn't as easy as we want it to be to move the the marker to where we want it. Bookmarking exists on certain apps, but not on other apps. So I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that doesn't make it easy. Now, uh, I also get to have this argument the other way with people when I say that you know far too much text makes people go crazy as well. I, I think it has to be a blend, and we have to be multimedia. And then the other side of this too, Jeff, and I personally have a lot of experience with this, is there's quite a lot of hearing impaired people or, or sometimes sight impaired people mm-hmm. who are being left out of the experience. And yeah. as much as it's, it's, it's a lot more challenging to keep all of those balls in the air, I find that when I create transcripts for things like my courses, uh, then I get a lot more sales because suddenly the deaf community goes, wow, he actually took the extra step and cared. Mm. So it's not even because I'm a sweet guy. It's because I like money. And it turns out deaf people also have banks. So, uh, you know, that's why. But I would say that, um, you know, I feel your pain. My parents were both uh, broadcast DJs. Uh, they met each other at a radio station. And uh, I was just thinking about this in the car because I was listening to one of those throwaway dance stations. And it was an iHeartRadio station. And I was thinking, how long are you going to get to be a DJ there? I mean, because you're already not even vaguely programming the music, but how long is your witty banter going to allow you a seat at the desk? And the answer is just hardly not at all. Well, especially when you know, I think of apps like Stitcher who are, are making headway into the car dashboard. And so now the competition for radio is just exponentially more and more and more content coming into the dashboard. And, and there's just too many stats that are saying that people aren't even vaguely interested in terrestrial anymore and, uh, and not interested in satellite. So we are just waiting patiently uh, for Wi-Fi. And, and a good lot of people I see are driving around with their earbuds in, even though that's illegal. So I think, you know, personal media, there's no bad bet in, in paying attention to personal media. Right now, Chris, there's somebody listening who's on the verge of, of launching something. They're about to go and maybe for the first time from just being uh, that consumer of content we talked about to being a creator of content. And I want you to help me light a fire under their rear end a little bit. Why do you get angry thinking about those who never leave the consumer side? Because everyone has something to be to, to say, and we all need to hear it. And sometimes it, it doesn't have to be the best. It doesn't have to be far different from anyone else's, but it's yours. And it's there's always some other approach to what what people are talking about. And I'll give you a really simple YouTube level example. I, I'm into fitness right now. I'm doing a lot of work to get in great shape. And I will type in certain exercise, for instance. I will type in um, squats, and I will want to know proper form for squat. And I want to watch a quick demo video of that. I am astounded. I can get anything from a 20 second video that shows me exactly what I needed to know to somebody pontificating for 14 to 20 minutes <laughs> on, on the history of squatting since, you know, people pooped in a cave or something. <laughs> and, and I have no idea why that person's created it. But what I love is it doesn't matter anymore. Whichever one of those two examples you want to be, someone wants to consume it and someone really wants your take on things. Just press record, start out horrible, start out messy, and then figure it out. And then you're going to sound just like Jeff one day, 30 years later. (laughs) Well, I feel like we've only scratched the surface of the book. I want to get some other questions not related to the book in, in just a moment. But before we move to those questions, is there anything else about the book you'd like to share? Oh man, that's a horrendously open-ended question. <laughs> uh, you know, the thing about the book is we, we spent it, we killed an entire tree. We wrote an entire page that says, this is not a book about social media. And I will tell you without any question, 
that this is no one read it. Like this book did not sell nearly as much as I wanted it to sell. And when people take the time to read it, it's a book about business. And it's also a book about how to make yourself heard in any elements in your life. So read the damn book already. That's one of the reasons why I I leave them wanting more, Chris, because I want them to go out and buy your book. (laughs) Good. If you had to narrow all the business lessons you've learned down to one central theme or idea, Chris, what would you say that is? Easy cheesy. Be helpful. Um, what I find a lot of people doing is they create their business on the side of the page of who I am, what I know, what I think I want you to think about me and all these sorts of things. It's never the way to get business. All the money I've made in my life, every single dime that I've made has come from being helpful to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Business is the service of others. So I think the, the, if you always put yourself in that mindset, you know, what, what, do, what do the people I work with really need? What do the people I serve really need? And take your ego out of that picture suddenly that's when magic happens that's when money starts pouring in because you start figuring out oh that's what they need and i have these conversations all the time i have a conversation in about two hours or so from this conversation where in which it will be hinged on the fact that these people don't quite understand what i'm trying to sell them yet Mm. and i've got to explain to them oh no here's what i really mean and this is why it's helpful but by the end they're going to say yes because i know that what what I'm asking for and offering is going to be something that's going to make them money. So be helpful. Chris, when your time on this planet is through, which uh, I know we all hope is not for a very, very long time, what legacy will you hope to, to leave behind? 500 children. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I, I thought that would be good, but no, I... Uh, <laughs> My legacy, here's what I really want all humans to feel, that they are good enough and that they do matter and that they are supposed to be here and that they are important. And even if the people around you right now aren't feeling that or getting that, it is totally vitally important. Can you name for us a couple of books you've read in the last year or two, Chris, that have had a a great impact on you? Oh my gosh. I don't read books. You know that. No. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Would that be just a grand way to end that? No, I am... let me think. So there's so many is the problem, and yeah. I'm, I'm sort of scrambling. There's a really good book on uh, the the power of resilience by Dr. Robert Brooks. Mm. I really enjoyed it a great deal. Resilience is sort of like mental toughness. That is a really, really important book and definitely worth uh, digging into more than once in your life. Um, another book that that I've read recently, see, this, that's the other hard thing is there's books that I really love that I haven't read in the last two years. Mm. So, um, one of the, I'm going to sneak one of those in anyway. Sure. It's called how to, how to get rich by Felix Dennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed the book because it was so practical and, and, a, and a little bit fun, uh, along the way as, as the title might recommend. He's a sort of cocky British guy. Um, and then finally, and this is a little pertinent because of, uh, it finally came out in a movie is Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And the reason that book is really important is it teaches you a lot about strategic thinking and how to shake up your uh, perceptions. The gates are down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I normally end by asking you to share your, your outposts on the web, your websites, but I, but I know you're just going to tell people to go to readtoleadpodcast.com. How'd you know? That is my thing. I just, I, I, I've, I've heard your share of interviews and in other podcasts. Uh, thank you, Jared. Easily starved the doubts. Uh, before we wrap up, though, I'll instead ask, what's new on the horizon for you? Tell me about you know, Owner Magazine and anything else that, that you want us to be uh, on the lookout for. 
Well, Owner Magazine is the, the, the most public thing that I've been doing lately, which is ownermag.com, and it is your business magazine for your future curriculum. And it's it's been a lot of fun. 20-plus different authors, all with interesting backgrounds, including two Spanish-speaking columns every single month, um, where we have all kinds of information on the how-tos of business and some of the why-tos of business, as opposed to the, hey, Twitter had an IPO. I keep following uh, a lot of different business magazines right now, and they're just reporting what's going on without any real extrapolation on what's going to happen and how does it apply to you. And what we do is we spend all our time thinking, how could I think of a way to make it your business better? And then we write an article and there's 20 plus people doing it. So that's that. I am a, I am so on the verge, if this podcast interview came like a few weeks later, I'm on the verge of decloaking as uh, having done some work with a startup for the last nine months. Mm. And it's uh, it's not Facebook big, but it's right whatever the level is below that. So <laughs> it's it'll be fun. Uh, if it works out really well, you'll remember this part of the podcast and kind of giggle. And if it doesn't, you'll be like, what a freak. <laughs> Well, Chris, it is exciting to me to know that that you are now forever a part of the history of the Read to Lead podcast. So thank you for being a part of this today. My utter pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. It was a great honor to be here. If you'd like to let Chris know what you thought about today's episodes and the insights he shared, and I'd love it if you if you would let him know, you can send him a tweet to at Chris Brogan on Twitter. That's at Chris Brogan, B-R-O-G-A-N on Twitter. Please also remember to love on our sponsor. They're making this podcast possible, and they're showing that they care about the same kind of content you care about. Of course, I'm talking about the folks at The Snippet app. To find out more about them, go to thesnippetapp.com, and there's a link to download the app in today's show notes page. That's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 021. That's also where you'll go to comment on today's episode, as well as to find out the links and other resources we shared today and find where you can connect with Chris on the web. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 021. If you're on Twitter, one real easy way to let others know you appreciate the Read to Lead podcast is by going to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Twitter. There you'll find a tweet that's already written up for you that you can easily share to your tribe. Again, that's readtoleadpodcast.com slash Twitter. And I hope you'll rate the podcast if you haven't done that just yet. And if you give it a five-star rating and leave a review, I'll be sure to mention your name in an upcoming episode as a small way to say thanks. By the way, thank you to both Professor Jack from Chicago, who calls it part of his must-listen list, and also Humpnut, who says, I love the format. To leave your own rating and review, just go to readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Again, all these links can be found in the show notes page for today's episode. Next time on the show, our guest will be Gary Vaynerchuk. In fact, his brand new book, Jab, 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 Right Hook, comes out this Tuesday, November 26th. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I look forward to seeing you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. If you can't hear what I'm trying to say, if you can't read from the same page, maybe I'm going deaf.
Maybe I'm going blind. Maybe I'm out of my mind.